You are about to listen to the full interview with Dr. David Sands. Dr. Sands is a human companion animal practitioner. He gained his doctorate in ethology at the Faculty of Science at Liverpool University. In 2005, Dr. Sands received a phone call from a television director asking, could a dog commit suicide? What followed was an investigation into the dog leaping mysteries surrounding Overton Bridge. We spoke with him about what he learned while studying the bridge. We hope you enjoy. Uh, I'm Dr. David Sands. Uh, I'm an animal behaviorist, psychologist, ethologist. So I'm involved in human behavior and uh, animal behavior. Uh, I'm from England and have lived here most of my life. I've lived in the States um, and uh, traveled extensively. Did a lot of my research work in the Amazon. In the Amazon? What were you doing there? Uh, (laughs) Investigating the upper Rio Negro uh, for some studies on mimicry in in some fish species. Oh, wow. Uh, That's how I got into it all. Uh, But I've always been an animal lover right from being a child. Yeah, and maybe maybe talk about how you developed this interest in in animal behavior and what led you onto this path initially. Yeah, I mean, probably like most children, you know, uh, father has a dog, uh, goes down the woods. Uh, In my case, he would climb up trees and come down with eggs of birds and tell me, what particular bird it was or he would tell them the names of trees and uh, uh, he would highlight things about animals you know badger sets uh, rabbits uh, different species of birds so but just generally um, I was a nature person just just like being outdoors and when I grew up in the 60s our playstations were the local woods and forests and you know you could uh, explore and and uh, understand a bit more about the, uh, the the natural world. And when did you first become aware of this mystery surrounding Overton Bridge? Yeah, I got a phone call from a director-producer about 2004. I'd not personally heard of it, although I'd been to Scotland on quite a few occasions. I'm, I'm particularly fond of the Highlands and I have friends there. And uh, he kind of rang me up and uh, his first pitch was, you know, do you believe uh, that animal, uh, that dogs can commit suicide? Uh, and <laughs> I sort of laughed initially and said that um, as a human psychologist, I can say that dogs can't sort of uh, um, imagine a situation uh, in, a, in advance and say, right, I'm, I'm fed up with life. You know, this irrational thinking that you would get from, from people. I said, it's impossible. Uh, I rambled on, you know, and sort of said they can't premeditate and uh, they don't have the prevailing mental capacity to actually think about it. And he said, well, I'm working on a documentary and there's this bridge in Overton in Dumbarton in Scotland. And uh, as far as we know, um, there's been sort of, you know, hundreds of dogs that have leapt off this bridge. And then he asked me, what I thought could be the cause. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously Overton is thought of as being this bizarre spot where dogs unusually will jump from a bridge, but is it common for dogs to jump off high places like this? Is it possible that this is happening in other places and we just have... Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Uh, but, but when I was actually fully involved in the research, I spoke to quite a few veteran colleagues and uh, uh, I even knew about a local structure uh, that uh, that dogs had gone off on. There's there's um, very close to me. There's some wonderful gardens on a, 
uh, Moorland Hill, and uh, there are a lot of sort of follies. And um, uh, a couple of vets had actually spoken to me about uh, treating dogs that have been injured, jumping off these these structures. And um, um, if you know a little bit about the physiology of the dog's eye, it, it's all about the rods and cones. Um, they they don't see as distinctly as we do because a lot of the senses are tuned. You know, the sense of smell, the the hearing. Uh, is far more sensitive, and so the eyesight itself is is not as significant. And and the dog e- evolved uh, hunting in in twilight, you know, at, at dusk. Um, so they're, they're listening for movement and sounds and smells uh, they're looking for. And uh, uh, so it was about that that they can get onto a structure and not necessarily see the depth of field that we can, uh, where if they jump off it you know, um, there could be a drop on the other side. And that's quite significant with the Overton Bridge because the topography is uh, very unusual in that it it cuts across a gorge. So you go from level ground uh, and then at the the peak of the bridge, there's a 50-foot drop. So do you think it's possible that the dogs are still thinking, they've seen that it's level before they enter the bridge and they still believe, or at least as far as they know, it's still level beneath them over the bridge? No, I mean, what I, a few things I did when I was researching the bridge is I sort of uh, tried to go down to a lower level. Uh, I mean, you know, the very thick uh, stone walls, and uh, uh, they've sort of got this very um, distinctive turrets uh, on, on either side that you can step into, uh, almost like castle, uh, you know, circles, semicircles. And uh, you could imagine that a dog wouldn't really have a concept of what's on the other side, uh, but might be curious enough uh, to know. I mean, even when I was talking to the, to the original director of the first documentary, uh, Matthew Burgess, who's a really cool guy, uh, you know, we talked about what, what could what could be happening, and I, and I said. Well, you know, the most excitable dogs are the working breeds not worked. You know, the livestock controlling or the tracking dogs, uh, sighthounds. And he said, well, that's interesting because the statistics we're looking at in the in the 60 dogs, uh, there's a lot of collies and collie crosses, you know, that are used for livestock control. So I said that before I, I even knew about the, um, you know, the breeds involved. Yeah, I'm curious about the statistics of the bridge itself, because I've heard things ranging from 60 all the way up to 600. And um, you get, everywhere yeah. you read, it's a different stat. And I'm wondering, <laughs> how were they keeping track of this? And where did the where are these numbers coming from, really? Well, yeah, uh, and, you know, when, when we uh, sort of you gave me an idea of some of the questions, I actually looked at some of the documentation that I had. Now, I, I, I was given a figure of 50 or 60 in, in the beginning in 2004, but I saw a headline from the Sun newspaper, which is a, a popular, you know, uh, red top as we call it, uh, and they say mystery of 600 dogs jump from haunted suicide bridge. Uh, so, um, but I'm not aware of, an, a, a, you know, an accessible uh, verified statistic you know to mean yeah. that you could look at online and say this this number of dogs yeah and so i guess the the, the number 60 though where do you know where that one came from like is is there a who's uh, tracking well this? i've got a, a newspaper article from a scottish newspaper and um uh, whoever had done that original research 
uh, had looked up various articles and notes and 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 sort of counted uh, since the since the 1960s that there'd been um, accounts of uh, of 50 or 60 dogs, uh, but locals knew that it had happened a few times, um, and uh, I actually spoke to uh, three or four people uh, in the first film. I interviewed Donna, whose dog uh, Ben uh, had done the jump and died. And I also spoke to Kenneth, who was the owner of Hendrix, a 17-year-old dog uh, that had jumped but survived. Um, uh, so th- these were sort of accounts that, you know, we had spoken to the people. Um, there was a lady called uh, Alice uh, and her son, Thomas, um, and they had a Springer Spaniel that leapt from the bridge. So th- th- they were accounts that I knew in this current um, you know, well, at that time, you know. Do you remember any of those first-hand accounts? Like, would you be able to maybe recount kind of what they were doing and, and what happened on the day of? I, I think the, the case was initially they were, they were coming out of an area that is, it, it's a very rural area, and they're, they're coming through woodland um, onto the bridge structure and the dogs. You know, if you've ever seen dogs that are tracking scents, and the light, the weaving. Um, well, a couple of ideas that I that I looked at is I'm 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 very alive to the kind of cues that dogs can pick up uh, from owners, and uh, it's a common um, reaction for people on a structure, a high structure, to actually look over, and uh, I, I imagine that people would naturally look over and look down at the gorge because you can hear the water. Uh, from from the stream, and um, I think in in most cases they're they're walking along. The dogs have gone into the turret and suddenly uh, uh, jumped off. Yeah, that's interesting. I was wondering if you know, is there any commonality behind the owner's behavior uh, when these dogs jumped? Um, yeah, I think I think you'd need a full collection of, of um, first-hand accounts to actually say. But in most cases, people are not expecting it. The dogs are off lead, yeah. uh, and they're running ahead of them, uh, and they get get onto the bridge. And um, there are st- uh, distinct stopping points on either side. Uh, but it was the main, um, depending which way you're coming from it. But it, it was one side of the bridge that leads down to the gorge where almost all the dogs that I knew of had gone over. So it was typical, the first turret. Um, and, and that was the most significant drop. From the stories that you've heard, is it more common for dogs to die after making the jump or do they generally survive the fall? Well, out of the three or four people that I spoke to, three died. Uh, Hendrix survived because he landed on a mossy uh, section and uh, at different times of the year, the river would be higher and flooded, and I don't know whether that would af- affect the bank. Um, but um, that, in the main, the dogs died from the fall. I mean, in your career as an animal behaviorist, have you? I mean, is there? Have you ever experienced jumping off bridges aside any behavior from a dog that could be considered self-harm? No, 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 definitely not. I mean, that that's a projection of a, 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 a human. Uh, state, uh, a, me- a mental state where you've got irrational thinking and um, you know obviously there are complex uh, sort of 
areas of depression and bipolar and, uh, and, and, and mental health conditions that put people into that position. Do dogs, uh, the primary instinct is to survive. And um, I mean, there's a million years of evolution in a dog's behavior uh, that is to survive, but that doesn't stop them from getting themselves into trouble. I've heard stories about dogs jumping and then immediately running back up the bridge and jumping off again. Do you think there's any truth to these claims? Uh, no, I, I, I don't know. That's almost an urban myth. Uh, I've seen that mentioned, and there was a period of time when various videos were put up on, on uh, um, you know, the channels, uh, some of the three documentaries for that I was involved in, where people would come on and say, oh, why are the dogs going round again and doing it again? Uh, but I, I, I didn't know of a single account of that happening, so that could be a myth. You, you visited the bridge to explore the source of this phenomenon. Can you talk about your initial impressions visiting and kind of what you initially thought could be the source when you visited? Mm. I, I felt it was likely to be a sort of combination of, of factors rather than one single factor. Um, this, you know, the, the, as I said, there was a common thread of the type of dogs that were very lively and athletic and, and, and working breeds. Um, there was situations where you've got almost an, an optical illusion because, as, as I explained, the, the topography goes from level ground uh, to this bridge crossing a gorge, so it's a, such a radical change. There's a lot of uh, dense undergrowth, uh, there will be a lot of uh, smells and, and, and sounds from that. Uh, I walked on the bridge and I was sort of, there is a gothic, gothic feel to the bridge and there's many images that show that, uh, but it is a very, very solid structure and um, uh, the walls are, are decent high, but jumpable uh, by, by an athletic dog. And um, I was sort of very conscious of on the ground level of the bridge. It, it, you, you can't see beyond all the trees that are all around it. So there's not as if it's, there's a clearing where from the bridge you would see a view or, or a horizon. Uh, so I felt that was quite significant. And the walls are very solid, very thick. Um, I could imagine in different weather conditions that 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 could be um, a factor. Um, and th I mean, th th you know, there's a lot of theories about um, you know the dogs are mesmerised by an optical illusion or attracted to the sound of water. Um, uh, one theory uh, was that the fast lane naval base uh, on the Clyde was radiating some kind of waves. That was affecting them. There's some very significant electricity pylons uh, that are local, and they could have created some static. Um, and you'll know about the popular one that the bridge is haunted, um, uh, and there's a spectre of a deceased man. Uh, you know, he was sectioned under the Mental Health Act. Uh, there is a story that hit under um, when he was sort of um, having a particularly psychotic episode that he tried to throw a child off the bridge. Um, and that, that story uh, has sort of added to the mythology, if you like, um, surrounding the bridge. Is that story true, that he threw his baby off the bridge, or is that just an urban myth? Do you know? Uh, no, I think uh, there was an incident, uh, but uh, but uh, the baby didn't go off the bridge. I think, uh, oh. you know, he's probably stopped. Yeah, yeah. Very. I mean, the, 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 the house itself,
itself, the Overton House, was used in a maternity sense for a period uh, as well. Um, I don't know whether that's post-war. Um, so so the, the, there was always this, this aspect of, you know, there could be babies and children around. Um, I, I, I read, um, I'm sure I read a story somewhere where... where um, there were a couple of guys who, as youngsters, liked to play tricks on each other, or young men, and uh, they created a spectre for, for the bridge. Uh, that, that you know, that, that that could be something that's stood in the sort of local um, uh, folklore. I think you mentioned earlier that maybe your your view on what could be causing this evolved over time. Is that true? And and what did it evolve to now? You know. There was always this idea for me that there was no one single reason why the dogs uh, had jumped off this particular structure. I always felt there would be contributing factors of the types of breeds, the weather, the number of animals around the bridge. And, and a wildlife expert was brought in who, who said he located um, uh, footprints of animals. And I'm well aware that the scent of some animals, you know, I mean, uh, foxes leave a very strong musk, for example, and certainly um, if there are mink or, or, or even otter around, uh, they would leave a very strong scent. And uh, so uh, I was kind of thinking uh, the combination of the dogs can't see on the other side, owners tend to look over the bridge, which makes whatever's on the other side uh, attractive to the dog. Uh, it might act as a cue. Uh, felt the structure itself, the topography, um, weather conditions, the fact that a lot of the dogs were, um, you know, long-nosed, uh, very keen on scents. Um, I think when we did the, the trials, which were meant to be fun, you know, these weren't empirical tests, uh, you know, clinical with controls, but um, the, the, the researchers got together a series of of sense, which I recommended, and uh, we set up, uh, I'm sure you've seen the video, where we brought a number of dogs together. They were randomly collected, these dogs. Uh, the last one was blind, which was, uh, created a slight moment of comedy. Uh, but um, they were attracted uh, to the scent, and that, that's no surprise um, in, in, in that that would be the strongest smell anyway. Um, but that this idea of the mink, and there were local mink farms, minks had been released by uh, animal liberation uh, people. Um, some people say, no, they've never been seen. And yet I spoke to a, a, an angler, a local angler, who said that he had definitely seen them in the, there's pools above the bridge, um, higher up on the hill, and uh, he'd seen them fishing. So... Um, whether they were otter or mink, they're very difficult at a distance to uh, to distinguish. In fact, uh, I'm just recalling right now when when we did the original filming in 2005, I'm uh, I'm pretty sure that I saw um, uh, you know a low uh, creature go across um, one of the border rails uh, fences, you know, in the further field. Uh, and I didn't imagine it because I'm used to looking for animals um, and that could have easily been a mink or an otter. Yeah, that was actually going to be my next question about the mink because I, I know in the documentary, I think mink is put as the most likely cause. And then I, after looking into that, I saw there was a lot of, low, uh, maybe not a lot, but I think I saw an interview with a local hunter who was 
in very strong terms saying it's not possible. There's no mink in the area. But you're saying that there actually is like a low, uh, mink maybe actually released into the area as a possibility. Yeah, yeah, that, I think that's on the record. Uh, but, you know, again, sometimes people put one and one together and get two. Uh, that's never been verified, you know, on a film or, 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 or documented um, specifically. I remember the wildlife expert who was with us in the team because there were sound experts. There was, you know, myself as an animal uh, psychologist and, and, and others who were around who were all doing various tests actually on the bridge and um, uh, I, 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 it, these things are difficult because one person says yes another person says no uh, I, I don't think that should detract from the fact that the dogs could be attracted to scent because if you've ever owned a dog that's tracking scent and I have uh, you know once their heads down they're away I live in a very rural area uh, and my terrier can, can, can go missing uh, as soon as he she starts to pick up a scent. She's zigzagging, going going through the trees, and it doesn't matter where she's going, she's just following the scent. Um, so if, if I thought, I mean, these questions were placed to me at the beginning, uh, once I'd given my side of what I thought was going on, which was more a generalised idea that, it, that, you know, I was always targeting misadventure, that these... But the, the, the whole idea of the mink became the one focus. But I'd said repeatedly that I felt that uh, owner cues, uh, the fact that owners would stop on the bridge and look, uh, might might be a signal for the dogs uh, to, to to sort of react in in a certain way, go off on their own or do something. Um, so that that part's modified. Uh, some of the new information that I got was somebody showed me a picture where one of the arches on the bridge had actually been altered, uh, and he uh, that person felt that that would create almost like a wind tunnel by lowering one of the arches, uh, depending on on on. And I wasn't aware of that, you know, when we did the original documentary. Are the dogs jumping generally from the same type? Are they going for? these these arches or is it all over the bridge at different locations no no it's just these turrets that that's the place where the dogs don't they don't jump on the main wall they jump and on the turrets themselves have sort of uh, uh slots if you like you know uh, almost like a castle um yeah I've always, i thought the the counter argument for the mink is kind of funny because it's almost like the mink it doesn't matter so much right i mean these dogs would probably pick no. up the scent of any animal it's just a matter of mink being the strongest scent but uh yeah they'll still yeah. go after the smell of a fox or whatever so it's it seems like kind of a funny thing for people to get stuck on yeah i, I think that there was this one of the reasons was uh, there was this sort of connection animal connection of of animal um, activists wanting to release the mink that were being farmed uh, so you've got a, a sort of a, a central theme of animals being involved. So I think that that story came came to the fore. And I'm sure you know yourself. Once these things are online, they become fixed as though they're in stone. Uh, whereas um, you know, I've always said right from the beginning, um, one that dogs do, definitely don't do suicide. Uh, and two, it's more likely to be a misadventure. You know, the dogs are in the middle of something and it's, it's
it's accidental that this happens. From your visits to Dumbarton, have you gotten a sense from the locals whether most people see this as just like a silly urban legend, or do you think people actually take it pretty seriously there? Uh, I think some people do. Uh, I, I, in the last time I went up there, I, I managed to spend a bit more time just talking to general dog owners. And, uh, you know, there was uh, a couple of ladies who were going across with three golden retrievers. They weren't bothered at all. Uh, but they were aware of the stories. And I think a lot of the locals are aware of the stories. So I think the people who encounter the bridge who were maybe tourists or visitors who were just there, you know, for a period of time, uh, they might get onto the bridge and not know anything about the previous history. But the, the locals know about it, and they either put their dogs on the lead uh, as they're crossing, or they don't think their dogs are ever going to jump and, and just walk through. I think I read that they actually, or someone was trying to uh, put up a, a warning sign. Was that there last time you went? actually that there was a sign put up but I don't know whether that was following the first documentary and whether it it, it, it stayed there um, you know I, I've seen pictures of the sign so so there, there was a sign but um, I, I'm trying to think the last time I, I went up was the, the last documentary the one uh, I think uh, I can't remember if it's the William Shatner one or on weird or what or yeah yeah, it's always good talking to Captain Kirk. Yeah, isn't that's it? awesome. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, there was definitely a sign put there. But how long it stayed there as a permanent sign, um, I, uh, to be honest, I don't know. You talk about the Overton Bridge kind of becoming a fixture of your media media life. I think the main documentary I saw was the probably the original one that you did. Um, mm. I'm interested, like, how many media appearances have there been and how much interest has there been generated since that point? Well, it, it depends where it's being screened around the world. Sometimes the documentary comes up in, in other countries. Uh, and obviously every subsequent documentary, whether it's, um, you know, for the Wild Files or, or the Weird or What, or uh, some local media students uh, did a film. In fact, I went up to the local structure here near where I live with them uh, and talked about, um, you know, the fact that dogs had jumped, jumped off other structures and it wasn't just just this bridge. Um, but um, I think... Uh, the, the, as, as there's a peak in either people's interest or uh, there's a big interest on, on the uh, science fi, uh, the, the, the horror, um, the drama, you know, so as soon as they go, I think I remember it once being in the top 20 haunted places in the world and uh, all of a sudden my, my the little segment of the original documentary on my own channel uh, sort of got lots of hits. And then, uh, you know, I'd get loads of weird comments, and uh, uh, I'm sure you know that there are there are people who are keyboard warriors who, who have an opinion and, and get, get involved. Uh, it always makes me smile, but I mean, uh, you, there was a period where every week a researcher was, was calling me, and they could be from Japan or uh, from, from uh, you know, North America, or, or in Europe. In fact, the last article I did uh, as an interview was for a German uh, magazine. 
that's really interesting. I wonder, I mean, before before that initial documentary was put out, do you think there was as much interest in this in this topic or do you think that kind of spawned all this this modern interest and and discussion around it? Mm, I, I, I think the original um, article in, in, in the Scottish newspaper, I think that that's probably where it, it started. And then it was picked up by other more national newspapers. Uh, and that probably got the original documentary maker uh, involved. And um, certainly once it was made into a program, that, that kind of in, increased the exposure. Um, and it is a quite an interesting place to go and see. Um, but uh, this story is is the one, and and you know, there's a, in in the Far East, there's quite a big interest in the mythical, isn't it? Uh, so so there's always a lot of interest uh, from uh, sort of Japan. Yeah, I mean, maybe you could talk just kind of like what your reaction is to that belief that there could be something supernatural and origin behind these dogs jumping. Well, I, you know, I try to come from a scientific approach, but I. People, if they believe in it enough, it, it becomes real. Um, if you know what I mean, that there is a, a psychology in it where you can almost, um, you know, absorb it yourself. Uh, I think it becomes a more exciting story when the supernatural ideas, uh, you know, become involved. And you know, I've I've been involved in documentaries where mediums have gone onto the bridge and and said they can hear stagecoaches and, and dogs. And all I can think of is the Hound of the Baskervilles, you know, in in, in Sherlock Holmes. Um, but I, it adds to the drama and the theatre of it. And, and you know. It's one of the great things about being human, isn't it? That we we have these stories running in our heads, and uh, we're inspired by other people's stories. So I think as as a theme, uh, as an interest, it, it, it's it, it is quite exciting. Uh, but for me, I'm always thinking about the dog's perspective, which is sort of everything's about instinct, innate behaviour, overlearned behaviour, and, and and you know all the senses are tuned to whatever's going on and we can't see a tenth of it you know because the picture they're forming is in scent and sounds and and the like uh, so it makes us uh, for me it makes it interesting as an animal story and and the documentary makers who made it w- were some of the best i think uh, apart from work that i did with the bbc on what to do in a dog attack and they approached it from a very scientific level uh, I think it was the most absorbing of, of the documentaries that I've been involved in because usually it's about, you know, uh, pets going crazy or, uh, or whatever and I, I try and avoid all that now. Um, uh, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's entertainment but uh, I, I'm interested in the behaviour and, and, you know, what, what we expect from our dogs and that in itself is a story, isn't it? Because uh, the role of dogs has changed over time you know, you've gone from almost all dogs being working dogs and having a task to now dogs being able to scent uh, uh, pre-seizure states and cancer and, um, you know, can detect TNT and and uh, so many different things as working dogs and utility dogs and helping dogs and uh, animal-assisted therapy. You know, the role of the dog has changed and then they're also accessory, aren't they? So if you're a celebrity, you've got one in a handbag or if you're a a local uh, drugs bar and you've got uh, these hounds of the Baskervilles by your side. Could you kind of describe just kind of what the area looks like around the bridge and, and what the bridge itself 
looks like. Yeah, if you, if you, if you could sort of zoom in almost uh, to it, it, it's almost hidden from afar. Uh, you, you drive into it or you walk into it and it suddenly appears like the set of a film. Um, and you've got this sort of gothic-looking house at one end. Um, you've got this sort of very thick uh, sandstone-walled uh, uh, bridge going across. It's not that that greater bridge, you know. It's it's not San Francisco bridge. It's it's sort of like a stone structure that runs. What what could we say? A um, uh, hundred, two hundred yards, or whatever. Uh, it's surrounded by by woodland and and uh, flora and fauna uh, sometimes very overgrown and as as you come into it, it it's sort of yeah spooky it's like something you'd expect from from a horror film if you like uh, and then as you sort of leave the bridge and go on to the other side you you're into almost parkland um now, if you actually go and stand in the turrets, then there are either side of the bridge. Uh, you can look uh, across, and you're either looking down at a gorge with a stream running through, which can be sort of fast and flowing if, if the rains have, uh, have been strong, uh, or it can be, be, be very low. Uh, on the other side, you can sort of look towards almost um, the Scottish scenery of, of woodland, so it's sort of set in the middle. Uh, it looks almost like in the middle of nowhere, but there is a town not that far away. Uh, but it's set in, in, in a very rural uh, location. I'm pretty, I feel pretty confident that if it was just a boring steel bridge, we wouldn't be hearing these sort of stories coming, <laughs> coming out from it. It's, tr- it's true. Uh, yeah, and you know what's interesting as well? It's different in daylight than it is at night time. And I've gone onto the bridge at night time during some filming, and uh, it takes on, it takes on another character, you know, uh, very much a, a sort of almost gothic uh, horror film uh, set. So it, it's kind of almost like dropped into it, like you know, like a folly. It's not sort of part of a general uh, architecture of the area. It's sort of there. Um, as a, yeah, I think that's perfect to say. It's like a set. Uh, from, from from some horror film. You mentioned something about people saying, I hadn't heard the theory before about static electricity from electric pylons. What is that? Is that something that even affects dogs? Like, could that actually have a physical effect on dogs? Uh, well, that's that's hard to say because the you know there's two uh, fields of thought about it that that you know high static can can have an effect on people can. And, you know, there are some people who think that, you know, it can give them headaches. Um, it's, it's part of an electrification. They're quite significant, the pylons, uh, going in, 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 I presume, from power station across into the, to the main uh, town, city, uh, beyond it. Um, could dogs pick it up? I mean, you can hear buzzing. If, if you've ever walked in a field where there are these huge electricity pylons, you can hear them, can't you? Uh, so I would imagine a dog could hear that. But when we did sound checks, um, you know, there was a sound engineer who came onto the bridge. Uh, there was nothing, you know, great picked up on that. Um, I mean, and again, the idea of these nuclear submarines, you know, at the base at Fast Lane, which is on the Clyde, uh, that they could be producing something, I think, was all part of, um, you know, almost a James Bond story. <laughs> 
And what was what did they think the nuclear submarines were? Just like a noise, a sound, or that? Yeah, yeah, possibly from from you know the you know the nuclear aspect of the submarine, the machinery. Um, but again, that, that there was nothing to quantify. Um, but it, it all creates these. You know, if you went through the list uh, of what people think. Uh, you know, what are the prominent theories I think you wanted to know and uh, uh, they the, the, the sort of go down in order of uh, if you're thinking about the drama the, the main one is that the bridge is haunted uh, and that things have happened on that uh, all the way down to something simple like um, uh, extreme weather conditions but this is where I think there could be a recipe for, for what's going on in that you know, there could be the sound of water, which would attract the breeds that are, uh, are, are used to going into water for, for game. You know, a lot of the Springer Spaniels um, uh, and, and um, dogs like that, um, Newfoundland's um, Labs Retrievers are all water-based dogs. Could they be attracted to the sound of water? Yeah, it's possible. Um, but a lot of the breeds that I looked at were collies or collie mixes which is um, some more a livestock um, um, controlling dog. Um, the, the ones we've mentioned, the fast lane, the naval base producing something, the electricity pylons. Um, the last um, option that I, that I sort of thought about having been given the information was that the bridge had been uh, structurally altered and I could see from the pictures uh, before and after that they had lowered one of the arches and uh, you know uh, on the bridge there's what uh, a main arch and then two side arches and one of the arches the side where the dogs jump from interestingly enough uh, had been lowered and the theory was then that in certain wind conditions that would create uh, you know a howl or a sound um, but I, I, you know, I don't know of a recording of that uh, ever happening. But that was new information for me, and I think that was someone who pointed that out to me on Twitter um, last year or the year before. I've had a drink since then. <laughs> you mentioned so you mentioned that they generally jump from the archways, but is it always? I think you just said, is it always the same side of the bridge, even too? Uh, yeah, I think so. If I remember rightly from from the research, I was looking for my original folder of all my information. But if you understand that I've got forty years worth of files and books and references, and I have a huge library of things to do with animals and human uh, psychology and the like, I thought, how can I locate this? Because this is what happens. You know, in two years' time, uh, someone else will will maybe ask me to revisit it, and I don't mind. You know, it is an interesting out of all the subjects that I looked at this one brought in so many different things you know it brought in uh, the the person's perspective the dog's perspective you know the wildlife perspective um, where it's situated in Scotland I mean that's another thing you know I remember talking to another psychologist who said Dumbarton um, had the highest rate of, of sort of suicides and mental illness uh, which is not something to laugh about, but I suddenly thought, you know, here we are, we're talking about dogs committing suicide, which is impo- in- impossible, but the, the, because of the lack of employment and, um, uh, you know, a general rundown of the area, um, 
you know, there was this situation where there were a lot of people who were wandering around depressed. So I grew up with a couple of pretty meek chihuahuas who were not hunting dogs at all. So I I don't quite understand the the drive that a dog could have. I mean, if a dog was hunting an animal or got the scent, would they possibly, could they put themselves in a situation like running off a cliff or something like that? That would be not, led not, by their instincts. You know, yeah, I get what you're getting at. Not in the lemming style, uh, you know, of being led as a group, but certainly... If a scent was powerful enough, the drive that they've got, I mean, some, some dogs, uh, um, you know, in terms of generations, are very close to actual working dogs, dogs that are used for hunting or dogs that are used for livestock controlling or whatever. You know, they're, they're not just companion animals. You know, you could say the Chihuahua has been domesticated for a long time, but some of these dogs have, uh, have actually come directly from working stock that belong to farmers or, you know, uh, people who, who go shooting. So now their drive, uh, their trait that they've been selected for uh, in the last few centuries uh, is accentuated. So if they picked up something, whether it's movement, if it's a sight hound, or whether it's a uh, scent, you know, if it's a scent hound, um, that drive is incredibly powerful for a dog. And, and it, they almost become blinkered. You know, when, when, they're, when they're on a trail. Uh, and some dogs are, have this greater drive than others, and it's very much breed. You know, we've been selecting um, for traits in dogs uh, for centuries, and whether it's to, to seek out game, flush out game, uh, control or guard, uh, protect, you know, all these traits, um, like the terrier group, out of the, I think the oldest DNAs in the dogs are the Mastiffs, which are the Giants, and the Terriers, which is the smaller group. And, you know, there are stories of Terriers being taken to Malta by the Phoenicians, you know, thousands of years ago for vermin control. And you ask anyone with a Terrier, for example, and they'll say, show them a rat, and it's dead. So I, I don't know what the drive is for a Chihuahua. Um, I don't know what I'm trying to think what they were used for because most of the Chihuahuas that I see are, are sort of lap dogs and, and uh, are more like people than terms of dogs. Let us know what you think is happening at Overton Bridge on Twitter and Instagram at strange underscore phenom and on Facebook at strange phenomenon, all one word. Strange Phenomenon is hosted by Ray Terrara. It's written and produced by R.J. Blake and Ray Terrara. Theme music by Tara Monk. Additional music provided by Sergi Cheramizanov.